Good morning. Hey, uh, my name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, thanks for being here. It's so good to, to be here together this morning. And uh, I, uh, I, don't know, I don't know why this is. I, I haven't spent time really reflecting on it. But every time we do a, a child dedication uh, on, on, in our gatherings on Sunday mornings, I feel this almost this compulsion uh, to confess. And, um, and again, I don't know why that is, but to, to, to confess that when we, Abby and I dedicated our, our firstborn, uh, Ethan, um, it did not go anywhere near as well as that just went. And so for those of you that just dedicated, you are doing a phenomenal job parenting. I mean, way, way to go. That was amazing. Um, ours did not go that well. It wasn't that pretty. Um, I don't think we looked that good. Um, and uh, Ethan got through his, when he was mentioned, and then we, we were with some really good friends of ours that had gone through our whole pregnancy together, and they delivered two days before we did, and we got to be dedicated together on the same day, dedicate our first kids together. And then as soon as Ethan's was done and it moved to our friends, or a daughter, he just began crying and ruined it for her. And so, um, so ours are real good, our pictures are real good, not so much there. And, uh, uh, and so, way to go. You guys are just killing it early on in, in parenting. Um, so I, I probably could learn from you. Um, that would be weird, Ethan's 19 now, and so that would, that would be odd, but um, we could try. There was, I, I, do, I do feel the need to, Dexter cried just a little bit, and I was like, oh, maybe somebody's gonna ruin it too. And, uh, and you didn't, so that would have been more comfortable for me. But they, there was, you did some kind of magic, like just, and it was done, and so, wow. So uh, those three couples will be leading a parenting class uh, this afternoon, and that's uh, gonna be great, and thank you. Um, hey, three quick things, and then uh, we're gonna open up scripture and, and dive in together this morning. Uh, one is, uh, we, in a few weeks out, I think it's about a month away, uh, we do a, a special gathering the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and we call it our celebration. Uh, Thanksgiving celebration, and uh, we always do baptism a part of that. And so there's an opportunity uh, to be baptized. So if you're here and you know and follow Jesus and have not been baptized, um, let's, let's have you be baptized uh, November 18th. And if you don't know what that's about, we would love to, to share with you what, what that is about. But it's one of the things that Jesus modeled for us, and then he asked his followers uh, to do, is to be baptized. And we, we have a, a tank that we used to use up there, but we've actually got one right down here now. And um, we're going to set it up right there. And you jump in, and we dunk you under and, and bring you up, and we get to celebrate. And um, there's some other details that go with it, but that's, that's kind of it. It sounds really weird if this is your first time being a part of a, of a local church family, um, but it's one of the best things that we get to do together on Sundays. And so um, if you have not been baptized um, since you've been following Jesus, I, I would love to have a conversation with you. At the end of our gathering, I'm just going to be up here in the front row, and you can come grab me and, and, and say, hey, I'm interested. What, tell me about it. Or, or you can do this too. I'm really scared of that and don't want to do it at all, but I came up here to talk to you. That would be fine too. So baptism in a few weeks. There's also some classes that we're offering if you want to find out more uh, that way as, as well. Um, so that'll be coming up in the next few weeks. But baptism on the 18th. On November 10th, which is a Saturday, we're doing our partnership class, which we do a few times a year. And our partnership class is a way for you to find out more about who we are as a church and how you can play a role in the life of our community. And so it's nine to two on Saturday. Lunch is included. If you've got kids, we do childcare and they have a blast as well. It's, it's a significant piece of Saturday, but it's really valuable. And to walk through how we got here, how God led this church to be planted, where we've been the last 15 years and what God's done through us, what he's calling us to in the future. And then again, how you can play a role in this. If, if you are called here to be a part of this church, if you want to be a part of this church, we believe that, that God has 
created and designed and gifted you in some way to play a role in where he's leading us. And we want to we together find out what that could be. Um, and so if you're here, it's, it's a lie to believe that you don't have anything to contribute. You do, and we want to help find out what that is. Partnership class, November 10th, uh, 9 to 2. The last thing is this. is next. Uh, this actually, this whole next week is a significant week for us. Last month, we turned 15 years old as a church. And one of the things that we decided to do was to do something called a health assessment. We're 15 years old. As we look into the future, the next 15 years, we want to know where can we grow and improve as a church? Where are we right now? And to get some outside eyes on that. And so we've partnered with an organization that is, that is going to spend next week with us. I did a survey last month, thanks to those of you that took that survey. Um, they're, they're kind of tallying all that stuff. And then they're going to be here Wednesday through Sunday with us, doing a ton of interviews, getting to know us. And then Sunday afternoon, you kind of kind of go, here's our assessment of where you're at as a church. And so we're all invited to that Sunday afternoon, 1.30 to 3.30. Um, and so please put that on your calendars and, and make a point to be there. Um, I've heard from a few people uh, and myself um, that that is during uh, a football game. And uh, we serve a very big and powerful God, and, uh, and he's invented DVRs, so do that. Um, and so if football is a barrier to being at this meeting, um, let, let's just talk about that. I'll DVR it. You can come over. We can watch it together, and you'll, you'll be fine. Doesn't sound like it's a problem for any of you. Great. Okay. So all church meeting uh, next Sunday, 1.30 to 3.30. Uh, will you pray with me? And then we're going to continue on in our series uh, through the book of, of Hebrews that we've been in for about a month and a half now. Um, so pray with me and then, and then we'll get into scripture together and see where Jesus wants to lead us together this morning. God, you, uh, you planned on meeting us here this morning. Um, some of us are here and uh, we're here on a regular basis. Others of us have just kind of wandered in this morning and, and not sure what brought us here. Others are here um, just to visit. Uh, we come with all different stories and backgrounds, and, and each one of our weeks looks very, very different. And, and so regardless of where we're coming from, uh, we're here by your design in this moment, and we ask that you would, you would meet us here and that you would speak to us and that we would get a glimpse, a taste, a, an idea, an experience of of how great and wonderful, how good you are as our creator, God. That, that you, would, you would deepen our, our souls, remind us or tell us for the first time that you love us, that you have our best in mind, and that you're powerful and want to meet with us and walk with us in this life. And Holy Spirit, we invite you and ask you to, to help that happen, uh, that we need you at work and moving in this time, in this moment right now as we're in this room and, and to meet us here and to, to do what only you can do, uh, to wake us up, to help us to be attentive to, to what's going on inside of us, to help us to get to know ourselves more and to get to know you more. As so the Holy Spirit, do that work and comfort us, convict us, challenge us, heal us, restore us, give us hope. And Jesus, we, we want to be a people who find our only hope in you above and before anything else. And so as we look at your word this morning, would you help us to see it, understand it, experience, know it, and, and make it our own? And so would you teach us this morning as, as we're here? Would we hear from you and no one else? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Hebrews, if you don't have a Bible, you can walk and grab one. Don't be shy on, on the back, um, on the sides here. I mean, on the, on the shelves. And um, we're going to be in chapter 6 uh, this morning. Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, we've called it uh, the book of better things, and we didn't come up with that. It's been, Hebrews has been referred to that um, for 
centuries, really. That, and the reason is that term better things pops up several times throughout the book of Hebrews, and it's always pointing back to what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And so Hebrews is this reminder over and over that Jesus is better than anything else that we can find in this life. Any other person to follow, any other idea, any other philosophy, any other experience, anything else, that Jesus is, is better than that. And much like what we need to hear today, in the first century, there were followers of Jesus who were seeking to follow Jesus, but had all these other voices and pressures in their life that was pulling them and tempting them and inviting them to, to walk away from Jesus and to find something else. And so Hebrews is this repeated message that, that Jesus is better than anyone and anything else. In, in chapter six, uh, I want to read these few verses, and then we're, gonna, we're just going to kind of go back over them and, and pull them apart a little bit, because there's a ton packed into here. So uh, in chapter six, starting in verse 13, we're going to read through the verse 20. So here we go, verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There's a, that's eight verses. There's a, there's a ton in there. Right towards the end there, verse 18, the last part of it says, this is, this is what these are intended to do. As we read these verses, as you listen to them, as we go through them right now, the, the desire that God has for us as we hear it is that we would be encouraged. For those of us that are following Jesus, that we would be encouraged. For those of us that don't believe or follow Jesus, that we would be challenged to, to trust in him and believe in him and, and follow him, that, that we would have this sense of encouragement. But there's a lot in there, and it's, it's kind of hard to go, well, what is it that we're, that is supposed to be encouraging for us because there's a, there's, a, there's a few names, Abraham Melchizedek, there's a, there's a history re reference, there's this idea of a promise and an oath so that something's confirmed. I mean, there's all of this stuff in there. And so what I want to do is kind of walk through it a little bit and, and go, what, how is it that we're to be encouraged in all that's in those eight verses? Um, my youngest son turned 12 recently. And what we do in, in our home, um, which we have to kind of save up to and budget for, but we let our, our boys choose what they get to eat on their birthday. And so our youngest, uh, Owen, just turned 12, and, and I'm really, I've really been leading him and discipling him well and really proud of what he chose to eat for his, his meal, his birthday meal. It was sushi. Was like, leading him well. He said, I want sushi, and that's good for our whole family. So we get to eat sushi. I mean, at, at younger ages, it's like... It's like mac and cheese and, and hot dogs. And you're like, dude, really? Okay. Sushi, great. So we did have to look a little bit to find a sushi restaurant that our whole family could eat at and, and afford. Um, and we did that. And then um, the day of, of the birthday meal, we were all coming from different directions around the city. And, and Owen and I happened to get there first. We we're coming from three different cars. It was us and grandma. And, and we get there. And he's, again, I, I mentioned this, I think he's 12. And so when he gets hungry, he's ready to eat. 
Um, he hasn't figured out this, this waiting patiently thing that, that Abraham has yet, but um, he's, he's, he's 12 and he's ready to eat. And so we sit down, got the whole table you know, to ourselves and we're waiting for the rest of our party. And he's like, hey, how, when are they gonna be here? When are they gonna be? I go, I don't, like a few minutes, be patient. Um, don't be 12. You know? And so uh, he, he goes, let me have your phone. And he takes, takes my phone and he goes to find my iPhone. And we've got our whole family synced up on that, if you, if you know what that is. And, and he looks at the map, he turns it on, looks at the map and sees us. So it centers on, on my phone, which we're at the sushi restaurant. Well, he knows how to use this and goes, okay, I'm gonna find out where they are so I know how, I, how hard this is gonna be that I have to wait for sushi. And so he, he, he does this, he, he scrolls his fingers together like this, he pinches his fingers, and what it does to the map is it, is it shrinks the map and you can see more of it. So it shrinks the part you're looking at and you can see more. And then all of a sudden he can find on the freeway, okay, one of his brothers is coming here um, and he's about this far out. And then mom's car is over here and she's bringing grandma and they're about that far out. And okay, he knows how, how long he's got to wait. Then he, he scrunches it a little bit further and he sees like, oh, my other grandma's not, not going to make it to sushi because she's in Denver. He can see the whole, whole nation. She's over in Denver and we're in Portland. And so, okay, she's not going to make it. And he does something I didn't expect. He, he, he pinched it further and he could see the whole world. And he goes, okay, I, was just, I go, why are you looking at the whole world? And he says, well, I want to find um, Kosovo. So he's looking over in, in Europe, Eastern Europe. And he says, I want to find Kosovo because he and I are going to the, with, the, with the team to Kosovo in a month or so. And so he found Kosovo. And so here we are in a sushi restaurant. He's, he's pinched it and he's seen the whole map of the world. We need to do that with these eight verses, and, and, and here's why. These eight verses represent this much bigger picture that when we just look right here and read that, and we go, okay, I don't know that I really sense it deep in my soul and my bones that I'm really encouraged after reading and ending with Melchizedek, of all things. So I don't know, but I'm not super encouraged. But if, if we actually pinch that and look at the bigger story and step back and see what's really going on, all of a sudden, all this stuff comes out of here that is like, we need this today. This is what is encouraging us today. And this is how I'm actually experiencing some of the very same things that they're experiencing. And so what we need to do with these verses is we're going to pinch it a little bit and look at the much bigger story. In verses 13 through 15, it says this. When God made his promise to Abraham, so he's pointing back in history right here. Abraham's long gone from now, way back in, in history, generations past. Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God is saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. That's in quotes because it's a verse way in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And so after waiting patiently, the story goes on, Abraham received what was promised. In uh, Genesis chapter 12, we have this wonderful thing called a covenant where God talks to Abraham. He talks to Abraham and he says, uh, I'm gonna call you out of where you've been and you've faithfully obeyed me. And because you have, I'm gonna, I'm gonna promise you something. I'm gonna promise that, that you Abraham are going to grow into a great nation, that you're going to have sons, and they're going to have sons, and you're going to have daughters, and they're going to all marry, and they're going to have growth that is almost immeasurable, that you, you are going to grow from you and your wife to be a great nation. And anyone that comes after you and curses you, I'm going to curse them. But anyone that blesses you, I'm going to bless them. And beyond that, through you and your people, I'm going to bless the entire creation. That happens in Genesis chapter 12. The reason that that happens, that God chooses to do that, is because earlier, after God had created this beautiful creation that we are part of and exist in, that the first people he created messed it up. They had some help from a serpent. Led Eve astray and Adam astray, and they sinned. And because of sin, there's been suffering in the human condition and in the creation since the first time a human being chose to go away other than God's way. 
And God stepped into that and they said, the first words of redemption in all of scripture, where are you? The God of the universe says, I'm coming after you. You're hiding because you know you're naked now and sin has entered your consciousness and I'm coming after you. Where are you? And it's gonna be costly, but you need to know that I'm starting now a plan to restore everything. And his conversation and his promise to Abraham was a key part of that restoration. So he promises, Abraham, you're gonna be a great nation. Now, Abraham is 75 years old at this time. 75 years old and never had any children. His wife is a few years younger than him. They've never had any children together. When you get to that point in your life, you're 70 and 75, you're like, oh, okay, we're not, we're not to have kids. That's just not gonna happen. God shows up and says, you're gonna have kids. Really? I'm not, I'm not so sure, but okay. Sarah says that. Abraham says, I believe you. That seems kind of crazy, but I, I believe you. But then he goes through the next 25 years and he has no kids. And so now he's 100 years old and Sarah's slightly behind him and, and they have their first child and it's Isaac. Those 25 years were difficult waiting to get to the point of, is God really gonna provide a child? Because we were 75 when he said it was coming and now we're 99 and still not here. And then finally 100 and, and Isaac shows up. And it says that Abraham waited patiently for those 25 years. And then we come to that verse that we just read, but that's actually from uh, chapter 22 in Genesis. Chapter 22 in Genesis uh, says this. It'll be up on the screen as well. And this is after this chapter 22 in Genesis is this crazy, unexpected twist of the story. In 21, Isaac's born. In 22, God says, take your son and go sacrifice him. If you've never read this story before, it's, it's shocking. Why would God say to, to Abraham after these, you're 100 years old and you finally have a son, now take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, not fully understanding why he would be called to do that, trusts God and heads off on the journey to get to the top of the mountain to, to sacrifice Isaac. And right at the moment where he's about to take Isaac's life, and again, hard to fathom why God would say that, God provides a ram and stays Abraham's hand and says, sacrifice the animal, unties Isaac, sacrifices the animal. And then right after that, we have these verses in chapter 22. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, and these are God's words, I swear, there you go, I swear, I use my own name, I swear, I'm, I'm making an oath. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. You won't be able to count them. There'll be so many. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God, through an angel, says to Abraham in that moment, because you've obeyed me, I'm, I'm echoing again. I'm repeating the promise that's already been true and already been set what was that, 10 chapters earlier, but 25 years earlier. And I'm repeating it again and I'm making an oath around it. It's the same promise. He makes a promise and then he makes an oath. He says, because you've been faithful to me, I'm gonna do this. Because you've been faithful to me, I'm gonna swear it again. You're gonna have a lot of kids. And then it's in, in Hebrew, the verse 15. So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. He's got one son, then Isaac has Jacob. He can see the, the line coming. I've got now a grandson and then Abraham dies. But he had received, he'd had children and he could see the line coming. It's going to be a nation. It's going to multiply. It's going to grow. And then he passed away. And it says he waited patiently. And, and that's, it's a little bit misleading there because we, like, like Abraham was awesome at being patient. Like he's this great example. And in many ways he is. 
But, but that's not all that he was. Like, the patience, as we all know, is one of the hardest things that we do as human beings is to wait patiently. And this is that Abraham waited patiently in those 25 years. He's already 75 years old, and he's got to wait another 25. And what was that like? And, and waiting isn't fully helpful for us in English because it, it gives me the impression when I read that he waited patiently, like he's this awesome example, that he had like a hat made of just, hey, I'm waiting patiently. I'm 98, but I'm waiting patiently, and, and all's good, and this is easy. And that's not Abraham's experience. That the word actually means, and sorry it's not there in English, but it means endured. Now when we say somebody waited patiently, and we say another person endured patiently, we have completely different pictures of what that's like. Abraham endured patiently. He remained faithful, but it was really hard for him. Right in the middle of those 25 years, he made a grave mistake. He had a little help from his wife, but his wife comes and says, look, I'm not getting any younger. You're like 87 and a half. You're not getting any younger. God was probably, what he meant was you're going to have kids, but you got to do it creatively. That's probably what God meant. So let's get creative. And I've got this servant girl who's super fertile. Why don't you hang out with her? And Abraham's like, no, okay. And, And then he had a kid through her. He wasn't enduring patiently at that moment. He was disobeying. He was going his own way. He didn't, patient, he didn't do patience perfectly. He made some mistakes, and there was a huge cost to that. We don't have a lot of detail, but we have some to know that that messed up his marriage quite a bit. That didn't go well for them. They had to work through a lot of stuff because he chose to do that. That it cost his family later on. That it cost his, his, his clan, the people that he was around, that he traveled with. It, it, it was costly for them because he went off of God's plan and chose to make up his own because waiting patiently is really hard. Enduring patiently is hard. And so he didn't, he wasn't perfect in that. But he did, after making a mistake, return and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait for you. I'm not going to try out any more servant girls. I'm going to wait for you. And God showed up and finally fulfilled his promise. And then he echoes it again. God does with saying there's an oath. And so we go into the next verse here in 16. It says, people swear. It talks about this this principle. People people swear by someone greater than themselves. And, And maybe we don't do that very often, but we see it in movies and, 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 and TV shows and, and, and whatnot, and it's like, hey, I, or we hear athletes make comments or something like, I, I swear by you know, my, uh, my mother's grave, or I swear by my, my only son. And I, you know, if we put it on someone else that is, that is more valuable to us than ourselves, if we put it on another name, somehow it has extra weight. Like, um, hey, after, after church today, um, we'll go out to lunch and I'll meet you there well, you're kind of a flake and you don't show up a lot of times and when you do, you're super late. No, I'll be on time. I swear by fill in the blank, something that's more valuable than ourselves. I'm gonna put this on it. That's, that's what this principle is saying is when you do that. It's like saying, um, hey, I'm so sure that I'm gonna show up and meet you for lunch today that I've brought with me first time ever to church as a notary public and, and we're gonna sign the paperwork and put a stamp on it and because we've gone through all of that rigmarole, you can be confident that I'll be there on time. That's, that's essentially the principle here. There was a promise and then there's an oath. Verse 18 says this, God did that. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which is impossible for God to lie, which God never lies, he's unchanging. He's made a promise and an oath. He's given his word. He's put it on his own name because there's nobody higher. So this is going to happen. You are going to be a great nation. Here it is. God did that so that we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. 
God gave a promise and an oath. And it's being mentioned in Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, and it's referencing this story that when you pinch together and look at the grand story of of Scripture, is way, way at the beginning. Is I'm reminding you of this. I did this so that generations later, in the first century, when people are finding it hard to stick and follow Jesus and to remain faithful to him, that they can look back at that story and and be encouraged. And then 2,000 years later, when we show up today, we can look back at that story and go, okay, this is how God works. He holds to his word. He fulfills his promise, even when it seems ridiculous. Even when we've tried our best in the middle of the 25 years to mess it up, he still remains faithful, that we can be encouraged by that. But it says this, we, and it identifies us as this, and this is, this is for those of us that have chosen to follow Jesus. It describes us as this, we who have fled to take hold of a hope. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And what we read in that is that when we flee and take hold of hope, what's missing in that is what this word flee or to have fled really means. Because we read it and we're like, oh, I know what it means to flee. Um, I know what it means to cross the line of intimacy with a person and get really, really scared because the last time I did that, it, it didn't go well and I'm still recovering from it. And so now that I've crossed it with another person, I, I think they're good and I think I can trust them. It's just too uncomfortable, so I'm gonna flee and I'm gonna run away. We know what it's like to be physically in a place of, of not not being safe and having to literally run out of a room or a building or a space to find safety. We know what it's like to flee and to get away from something that's dangerous or unhealthy or scary in any way. We understand that. This is so much more than that. When it says here to those who have fled, it's, it's actually tapping into a, a picture of something that is really specific and much more grand And we can't get there unless we we pinch on the story that is being told in scripture and to see a bigger picture. This word right now is linked to a bizarre chapter in a book that very few of us are familiar with way in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the first four, and Numbers is where this is pointing to. Numbers chapter 35, which we're all familiar with Numbers, right? No, most of us don't even make it that far because if you get through Leviticus, you get like a crown and you just feel like you're done and you can move on to Matthew. So... Most of us have not been intimately aware with the book of Numbers and others of us have baggage from math and we think that it's God's way of teaching us math and we skip over it. And So Numbers isn't this like fully familiar book to many of us. But this word is, is linked in and, and connected to Numbers chapter 35, which is this beautiful idea, although it's hard to read through it. And here's where it comes from. It comes from Abraham's line. That Abraham's sons, Isaac, Jacob, and then on became a whole bunch of people, like over two million. And they took a detour in the desert for 40 years, but they eventually made it to the place that God planned, which is the promised land. And once they get in there, God tells them, this is how you're to be in the land. There are 12 tribes that are making up you as a nation. I'm going to set aside one of the tribes, which is the Levites, and they're going to not get any land because they're going to serve the rest of you. They're going to be divided among the rest of the 11 of you tribes, and they're going to serve as priests, which is a mediator between you and God. And you need that right now at your point in history. You need a mediator. And it's going to be these priests, these Levites, and they're going to divide up. And they need land. Like you each get land. The other 11 tribes got land. And so they need to live somewhere. And so because they don't get assigned land, they get, they get cities that are set aside for the Levites to have places to live in. And there's 48 of those cities in the promised land. Six of those 48 are special cities. They're called cities of refuge. 
Six of the 48 cities are cities of refuge. And the Levites can leave them in, but, but they're set aside for this special purpose that they fulfill within this new nation. Chapter 35 of Numbers gives this bizarre, and if, if you just have never read it, it's uh, just kind of a warning. It's a list of how to kill people. And so, it, I don't know why you would need that, but don't, you know, don't take pointers for that from it. It's just how people killed people then. And it was, it was saying, if you murder somebody, then what happens, if you kill another person out of anger and do it so intentionally, and you take a life, the family of that person who you've killed then appoints a person within their family called, get this, an avenger. That's awesome. I might sign up for that job. I don't know if it comes with a costume or a cape or how that works, but that family picks an avenger. And that avenger's task, their job, is to find the person who killed their family member and end their life. That, you kind of want to read numbers now, don't you? This is all in numbers. I'm not making this up. This is Numbers chapter 35. The reason that that's in Scripture is because, believe it or not, that was this giant leap forward and how to limit violence and death and killing in a new nation. They've been nomads. They've been traveling the desert. God's trying to, to help them grow up as a people. And he's trying to help them exhibit more of his characteristics. And when you accidentally or intentionally kill somebody, the family appoints an avenger and comes after them. And if that doesn't happen, what had always happened among them before and what had happened in other peoples that weren't God's people as well, is the family would what? You would get angry and upset. And you wouldn't send an avenger, you'd send a whole group. And you wouldn't kill just the family member that killed him, but you would kill five from this family. And this family would then arm themselves and gather up and make a plan, and they'd come back and they'd kill 15 of your family. And then it would escalate to the where there's a whole out war, and it would go on for generations, and we'd have the Hatfields and McCoys, and it would just be a mess. And so God says, no, 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 I'm going to limit it. When somebody commits murder and ends a life, you appoint a avenger, and they take one life. It's the whole concept of an eye for an eye, which sounds so grotesque to us today because we're so refined and, and elegant. But an eye for an eye was this beautiful limitation that stopped violence and killing. It limited it. And so everybody now knew, this is how we're going to live. If I get angry and kill somebody, that family appoints an avenger and comes and takes my life, and we're done. We're back to even. We're back to square. Still sounds kind of brutal, but you have to understand that was a great step forward. It also allows for accidental killings. So if you invite somebody over to your land to help you to work, and your project for the day is taking these rocks and moving them over there, and you start moving rocks with your buddy who's from another family, but you're working together on your land, and you start moving rocks, and as you're moving rocks, you're thinking about your day, and you're thinking about your day yesterday, and you go, man, yesterday was not a good day. My team was ranked 12th, and they went up, and they lost to a team that was ranked 25th, and I am ticked off. I am so angry about that. And you, you start throwing the rocks and you're just thinking about how poorly your team played and how upset you are. And then you stop for a moment and you realize you're not hearing anything back from your buddy. And like four rocks ago, you actually tossed it too hard and it landed on his cute, handsome head and he's dead. So you've got a dead buddy on your property that was your doing. Now you didn't do it out of malice or intention, but he's dead. So 
His family's eventually going to find out he's dead and they're going to appoint an avenger and he's going to come after you. So because this was done unintentionally and accidentally, there's this out. There's this way that you can flee to a city of refuge. And so you take out your phone and you go, where's the closest city of refuge? And you sprint there as fast as you can. And when you get to that city, you're safe and no one will take your life. A city of refuge was within easy reach. They, I don't know if there was just like, a, like an influx of accidental killings at this stage in history, but they were within reach. They were spread out so somebody could get to one easily. They were open to anyone. So they're open to whether you're part of the nation or if you were of, an, of, a, of, a, of another ethnicity. They were open to all. You could live there. Nobody went to just a visit to a city of refuge. I mean, we would today. If we go back in time, you'd see like, what does a city of refuge look like and how can I blog about it? But this was like, just to live. You, you were to live there. You could stay there. You could exist there. It was the only alternative to that person that had committed that accidental death. It, there wasn't another way. There wasn't like a, okay, if I, if I kind of bury him and make a nice grave and then invite the family and kind of try to be rational, like, hey, I'm really sorry. If I give you five cows as a ransom, can we be okay? It's actually told in scripture not to do that. There is no other alternative. And once you were in the city of refuge, it was only within the city limits that you were safe and no one was to harm you. If you traveled out to say to go, you know, I don't know, go, go visit family or go see a girlfriend or something like that, then you could be avenged by the avenger. They would fly in and, and take you out. But if you stayed within the city limits, you, you were safe. When it says in Hebrews that we, those of us that follow Jesus, we've fled from where we are and we've fled from danger. We've fled from the avenger who is now our enemy and wants to kill us and take us out. Somebody who wants to destroy us. Somebody who is against us. Somebody wants to end us. We can flee to Jesus. And Jesus is our city of refuge. And when we're with him, we're safe. And he's the only alternative. And the author of Hebrews goes on to describe it as this. We have this hope, Jesus and what he's done for us, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. In my, uh, in my garage growing up, my dad was, a, he was a, a handyman of all sorts and worked on cars, worked on uh, woodworking and could fix virtually anything. And it was... It, so my experience or context with, with men that can do that is their garages are a complete, uh, just another world. It's like just a mess and you don't, know, you don't know where anything is, but they know where it all is. And he always had sawdust over everything. And we had this, this link in a chain, you know what a, you know, a link in a chain, um, but it wasn't like a, a keychain or something. It was a, the, the link was about this big and it, and it was on the ground next to the door. It didn't hold the door open. I don't know why it was there, but I can distinctly remember it there. And as a kid growing up, I, at different ages, I came to that link and dusted it off from the sawdust and tried to get it and, and move it and, and, and try to move it. Or I'd sit on the ground and, and, and try to push it. And um, I never could move it. And I, and I asked my dad where, where he got it. And I don't, I don't know if you know uh, different kinds of, of metals. Like there's aluminum, which you can take a can and crush with your hands. And, and I don't know. If, we think that that looks really impressive, but aluminum, it, it's, it's light, it's easy to crush. There's, there's steel, which is a little, lot more heavy and, and heavier weight to it, and then you can't move it, bend it, um, like you can an aluminum can. And, and then there's another kind of metal that's uh, the kind that went into Thor's hammer, and that kind of metal was what this was made out of. <laughs> and it was immovable. 
And I had a, uh, a Thor expert tell me that that metal is called Uru or something like that. And if I'm not pronouncing it right and you know that, what does that say about you? Um, <laughs> this, this link was made out of, out of the same metal as Thor's hammer and I couldn't move it. And my dad told me that that was in the link of a chain from the Long Beach shipyard on a ship that was deconstructed that he got from a buddy when he was, before he was married. And it was a link in a chain that, that linked to an anchor off of a ship. I, I couldn't move the one link. And that was in a whole chain of links that I couldn't move. And I can't imagine the kind of anchor that that was linked to. But that's the, that's the picture that Hebrews is talking about, is there's an anchor that is so secure that when you're linked to it and when you're holding on to it, you're safe and secure. We, we did a, a series on hope a number of months ago, and one of the things that we talked about in this particular verse, that it's an anchor that you can be secure in, is that boats wouldn't have necessarily have anchors if there wasn't any threat of a storm. Like if the, if the, the water's always peace and calm, you don't necessarily need to worry. You could tie your boat off to a dock here and there and, then, and that'd be fine. But part of the purpose and the intention behind an anchor is that we know that there's storms and that we get blown all away and controlled and pushed around and sunk by storms and to have an anchor that, that holds us secure in a place. It's the very reason it's painted that in that kind of picture for us, that something that is able to hold us, that is stronger and weightier than us, that can do something that we can't do on our own that we hold on to it, and it's safe and secure. And it, when we flee to Jesus, we're holding on to something that is immovable and unchangeable. And God is stepping back through these verses and saying, if you look at the history and if you look at my track record, look at what I've done. And even in those moments, if you can take those 25 years that Abraham waited and take those on for for your situation and your place right now, that you're thinking, this is enduring. It is really, really hard. I'm actually considering let, letting go of that anchor and finding something else, which is why Hebrews comes back again and again and says, no, Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the better one. There isn't another one that you can hang on to. There isn't any other anchor like this, but to hold on to him. And then it describes where he is, and it jumps metaphors from going from anchor to the sanctuary, but it says... It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And it's talking about the holy of holies and the curtain that separates everyone else, even the other priests, except for the high priest who can go in there one time a year and be in the presence of God. And that Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, has gone and ended the role of that curtain and has gone through the curtain and is now with God. And Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, the sun is the radiance of, the God's, of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, which is his crucifixion, after he had been crucified and killed on the cross, conquering death, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. That's where he went. He went and sat next to his dad, which is where he is now. He's with us as well, but he's there now. And so our anchor, our link to the anchor is actually in heaven right now according to Hebrews chapter one, verse three. When we hold on to Jesus, we're holding on to the future promise of everything being restored. We're holding on to the future promise that we will be with Jesus for all of eternity. We're holding on to a link to heaven right now. Heaven isn't here. We get little glimpses of it and it breaks in every once in a while, but it's not here now. 
but we're holding on to the one that is in heaven now. We're holding on to heaven when we know Jesus. And the whole reason that God has worked out this plan and is in process working it right now, and the whole reason that we still feel like we're in that, say, 25 years where it's just enduring and waiting through is because we live in a broken world that God is slowly restoring and has a plan to complete. And that's the promise that he will, that he is trustworthy, that he will. But in Genesis 3, where we learn about sin breaking in, what we hear in that and what we know in that is that the serpent got to Adam and Eve and sin entered into our broken condition as a world. And what God's promise was then is that this is going to be hard, that there's a price to pay for sin. There's a cost us experientially day in and day out because we live in this sin-infected world. But it also says this, that our heel will crush the head of the serpent. And when Jesus provided the purification for sin, our provision that we need, he's conquering the power of Satan in our world today. He's crushed his head. And that's, that's kind of a brutal thing to imagine and think about. But he's conquered Satan already. He's done the work. Satan's still kind of flailing on the ground, and we feel the effects of that. But the evil avenger, the one that wants to destroy us, the liar that's coming after us in the here and now, and attacking us, and pursuing us, and speaking other voices in our head to let go of Jesus and to come and follow another way, he's already been defeated. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and he invites us to be linked to him, to trust in him, and to follow him and to obey him, even when we're in the midst of what feels like a, a difficult, maybe 25 years, maybe longer, maybe shorter, but it's a difficult time. And what we need to know is be reminded that Jesus has already paid the price and conquered. One of the ways that we do that is through song. Typically when we end our time in scripture, we come to this table and I want you to hold off coming to these tables for just a moment and to, and to listen or to sing along with a song that we've, we've not sung here before. It's a new one. We came across it recently and Phil and the band is gonna lead it for us. But it reminds us and it tells us things that are true of God. And one of the things that it says is that, that God has already fought our battle and he's won, that he's already defeated our enemy, and that he's defending us where we are in the here and now. And our invitation is to trust in Jesus in that, in the here and now. And so I want to pray, and then I want to have you listen to this song. And again, if you want to sing along with it, please do. And then Phil will invite us to these tables uh, when it's time. And so Jesus, we come to you and, and gladly link our lives to yours. And Jesus, even as we think through what it means to, to, to flee to a city of refuge and to know that that's, that's your invitation to us, to flee to you, that you're within reach, that you are open to all of us. You're open to all. That you represent that place to live, that we can live with you in the here and now. That you're our only alternative. There's not another way. And it's when we're linked to you with, within your boundaries that, that we best experience the life that you, you want for us. And so Jesus, we celebrate in this place and in our lives how you've won the victory already and invite you to remind us that over and over and over again.